Welcome to the SOB Podcast. Everything fun about family dysfunction with your hosts, Shannon Livingston and Joe Lobosco. This podcast covers it all from mobsters to motherhood and strip clubs to Sunday school with candid conversations on everything from surviving to thriving. Welcome to the SOB podcast, the son of a bitch with me, the bitch, Shannon Livingston, and my son. I'm Joe, and I'm the son. I wish you would say your last name. They know who I am. I've asked you repeatedly to say your last name. L-O-B-O-S-C-O. So today we're going to talk about something very near and dear to our hearts. It is censorship in comedy. And why is that so important to us? Because we are dark, twisted people from all of our life experience. Uh We've gotten through that with a lot of comedy. That's how I grew up and kind of the glue of my family and all of our dysfunction. We're all funny. So that makes us not kill each other. And thankfully, Joe, you are also funny, but you have this interest in comedy, you research it, and we also, we like the First Amendment, so let's throw that in there. But it's a little different when it comes to entertainment, art, all of that. Oh, and by the way, the guy that owns the studio and does all of our work and all of that is also here, Tim Durrett. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So back to censorship in comedy. Joe, I want you to really lead this episode because you know a lot more about it. And then I'll kind of pop in with some of my thoughts and research that I've done. So you want to start with kind of beginnings of the popularity of of stand-up and what that looked like? So, you know, a lot of people my age probably... What is your age? not my age, but I'm 26, but people... Younger than I am, you know, I would say Gen Z, and of course I'm generalizing, but I feel like a lot of them might not understand the roots of stand-up and who some of those people were and how that started and where that came from. But, you know, you throw out names like Lenny Bruce, mm-hmm. Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Dick Gregory. And that's like you know. 60s and 70s, Yeah, these were really. people who started in, in some cases, the 50s. And like marvelous Mrs. Maisel type of stuff. I think a lot of people have watched that show. Yeah, which Lenny Bruce is a character on Mm -hmm. that show. Mm -hmm. And these were primarily blacks and Jews, which at the time. And why is that? Well, as far as I can tell, and just based on. I need a quick, absolute answer. Okay, well, that's not going to (laughs) happen. All right. So why why do you think because, that these minority groups well, were in entertainment because in comedy? they were ostracized and mm-hmm. limited and pissed off. So you so, think they translated that pain into comedy? Absolutely. That's where comedy the always comedy comes from. tragedy thing. Yeah, you know that that's not just a cliche. That mm-hmm. is, if you spend time around comedians or people who call themselves comedians, they have issues. So Lenny Bruce used to go to jail for violating yeah. decency standards yeah, they, or they, obscenity the, laws. Right. The charge was obscenity, which yeah, again, people I think tend to forget that this was a real thing that happened within your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Talking about five, ten years, like it's. This was happening in the 60s and the early 70s. Okay. People were getting arrested for obscenity, which is nonsense. Well, I don't know. There are some things I don't want to see on the street. I'm not talking about public indecency. But I'll pay about, to see it on a stage. talking about That's someone true. talking into a microphone. Okay. And being taken away by the police mm-hmm. for saying things that are, you know, were considered controversial. 
Well, it's not just controversial. It, it's that they're considered dangerous right, to which, society. Which, it's an erode society. Yeah, which if the man is telling you that what you're saying is dangerous, then you're probably on to something. Right. As to far to as know can who controls tell. you, see who, who you can't talk exactly, about, who you, you can't know. speak against. So someone like Kim, he knew what happened if he said certain things. He said them anyway. Right. Well, it was great publicity also. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, no he press get is bad bailed press. out in a day and like, you know, well, sometimes, but they're kind of, you know, what I like about comedians is that they're, they've never been afraid to just tell the truth well, according to their own perspective. Yeah. So their truth, you know, yeah. Like, but no, don't get me started. Well, on, but it's not just whether or not truth. they're afraid. If you're making a living at it, you have to be able to be booked at venues. So somebody like Jerry Seinfeld can decide, or Chris Rock can decide, I don't want to do college campuses anymore because I'm too limited. They don't need the money. But other people do have to conform to those standards, especially if it's you know movies, TV. The biggest deal for comedy, although the game has changed somewhat with the internet, but obviously, you know, your biggest priority is always getting stage time mm-hmm. and making the most out of that. But but what do you think is off limits? Is it political stuff? Is it racial stuff? I don't think is anything it, is off limits if it's funny. If so you're speaking to an, if a you're joke connecting about rape, that's funny. If that you're connecting funny. to someone. Mm-hmm. on a level that provokes thought and humor, then, yeah, I say green light. So comedy is protected because the end result is humor and positive instead of hate speech, well, which is illegal because that incites something negative. The, the difference, I think, is comedy is not meant to be taken at face value. What that person is saying 90% of the time is not how they actually feel. Okay, but what they're saying is cut down, taken out of context, put into print in a sentence or two or a statement, and that's what they have to stand behind, and that is what they get canceled for. So we've had a lot of cancel culture just Uh recently, but even going back into what Michael Richards is the first one that I can really think of. I don't follow comedy like you do. I'm sure you know other examples. Well, he was the the big one, yeah. um, And do you think that was deserved when he... I believe he called someone in the audience the N-word and thought that that was allowable because he was on stage. I do not think Michael Richards is a hateful human being. I don't think he's a racist or a white supremacist or, you but know, his behavior any of the other in things. In that professional context, was that acceptable? It was ill-advised. You don't know. dodge it. No, hold on. I'm getting there. I've seen that video and I've learned some of the context and trying to combat hecklers... That's his job. It's difficult, but yeah, he went in the wrong direction. He tried really? to, he tried to the get the wrong he direction. Would stop. Do you want me to talk? Well, I just think if it's comedy, it should be funny. And once you start okay, going but, in the wrong direction, as you say, that's no longer comedy and no longer is protected. Right, but sometimes you think something's going to be funny and then it turns out it's not. And so it really he was is, going for shock value it's and how it it's didn't received, work. Right. Who decides right. if it's funny? Exactly. And who so, decides if it's obscene? You know, do, do I think that there was malicious intent there? No, he was pissed off. 
you know, that the guy was taking the room away from him and he overreacted and he, again, tried to get shock laughs, but But that's not the way to do it. You know, what's funny to me is that using that word and having that type of racist thought or rant or whatever happened, that in Lenny Bruce's day, that would have been acceptable. That would have gotten laughs, right? (laughs) But wait a minute, but he can do, and even going back into the Hayes Code for the talkies, when the silent movies went into having sound, they redid their decency code for having movies made. Mm -hmm. And in that code, it says that, um, you know, the basic things, like you can't show boobs and (laughs) things like that. But it also says that you can't show races mixing and you can't show white slavery. says nothing about black slavery, brown slavery, right? Just white slavery you can't show. And, you know, so anything like really racist was okay just not against yeah, racism was socially acceptable but that's so so society changes and part of our obscenity code is you know one of those three prongs to prove obscenity is community standards and community standards change so how do we know when we're in the well, middle and, of a time that is changing and, and what also, to accept and what not to it also depends on what community you're in you know you're, you're going to have a much different demographic talking to an audience in brooklyn but we do have the internet now. Rural Texas. So do we have to make things palatable to no. a nation? What's funny in comedy, Utah is also funny in Florida. Comedy, if it's good, in my opinion at least, doesn't always need to be palatable. That's not the point. So we were talking about Mel Brooks, and Mel Brooks is certainly one of my favorite people in part because he does push it. Yeah, he's he, a genius. He brings out, yeah, he brings out things in a satirical way, just a, a really cutting, brilliant way. Norman Lear, same thing, you know, with his television programs and Archie Bunker and some of the issues that, that they attacked. So I realized a few months ago, or whenever it was, that they had to, whatever the network, HBO, I think, they put a trigger warning in front of Blazing Saddles. <laughs> I'm sorry, but if you find the movie Blazing Saddles to be offensive or insensitive, you are missing the entire point of that film. Which was? The townspeople are supposed to be idiots. Mm-hmm. They're racist and ignorant. You're not supposed to root for them. Mm-hmm. Gene Wilder says in that movie that they are morons. <laughs> That is one of the lines. And do you believe that you have to be moronic to be racist? No. Do you think you have to be smart to be funny? No, but it helps. Yeah. So most comedians probably aren't racist by that. Some comedians are, you know, comedians are people. Some people are racist. But just because a comedian says something that could be construed as racist doesn't make that so. Because, again, there's a difference between who someone is and their public persona, especially on a stage. Mm-hmm. You know, Eddie Murphy talks about this. I've told you before about the interview he did where the reporter asked him, you know, which one of your characters that you've portrayed would you say you're the most like? And he said, I'm nothing like any of the characters I've ever played. But that is not my personality. He looks back at those and is embarrassed. By the pants. By, by a lot of the spectacle and how, you know, but he was younger than me. He was like 23 years old. And so here, And on top of the world. It, but, and so that was part of that time. But it also did life imitates art and art imitates life. Yeah. And so I remember being in high school when that was really popular. We'd get it from Blockbuster or whatever. And guys saying those things to us. Uh, yeah, well. And thinking it was funny and acceptable. And so, 
so where do you draw the line? Do we have to have a community standard? Are we contributing by pushing our our freedom of speech? Are we contributing to the downfall of society? Is that why everybody is in the gutter right now? Because we've allowed all of this? Should we go back to the 50s and thought control? Or no. What do you think? No. The downfall of society, I think, will be due to people's reaction to content that they're not ready for, that they can't handle, that they don't want to hear. You can't handle the truth? I can handle the truth, but there's a lot of people who can't. I meant from the movie, obviously. That line, you can't handle the truth. So you don't think people can handle the truth. But I also think about women in comedy. Sure. And they're not treated equally. And for years, people have said women aren't funny. Like, that's a whole thing. Well, that's nonsense, but... Some women aren't funny. But when they get up on stage, if a woman talks about sex, like who's the one now? Nikki Glaser? Nikki Glaser, yeah, most of her, not most, but a lot of her act is sexually focused and because that's part of her life. That she has sex and apparently enjoys it. Watch her specials, I have. There is still that level of censorship, what I'm saying, from society. And even if it's protected in comedy, we still have this idea that women are not supposed to like sex, talk about sex, talk about it in great detail. And I think that that is not ever addressed either. So, you know, while we're crying over whether or not Dave Chappelle can save something, Nikki's getting her ass handed to her because she talks about real life. She's fairly successful. Now, but there are still people that are saying things. I mean, people are going to talk about her in negative ways simply because of her content. Where if she was a man, it would be different. She could tell all the sex and poop and fart jokes that she wanted to. You don't think there's a double standard? Yeah, but... I don't know what you think. That's why I'm asking you. (laughs) So, yeah, comedy in those tight-knit circles can definitely be exclusionary to all sorts of different people, women included. But does comedy protect outside of like regular protection? You know, I, I, I take really. notes and I have uh, some right here on the limited free speech. And so it's limited when it comes to obscenity, fraud, child pornography, speech well. that this is the law, speech that is integral to illegal conduct and speech that incites imminent lawless action. And then of course you have copyrights and you yeah, know So yeah, so if you, you tell libel, a joke and it starts a riot, you're in trouble. Well, but people say freedom of speech and then they go, "Oh, we well, can't yell fire in a crowded theater," but it goes well beyond that. So our speech is limited in society, certainly in private companies, workplaces, things like that. So why when you put somebody on a stage and you're laughing, why, when you add that element of comedy to it? Mm-hmm. How does that then make it all okay and acceptable? Because it's a performance. It's entertainment. It's satire. Mm-hmm. This isn't a TED talk. You're not. But you can say that about anything. Mm. I mean, I could record myself saying a bunch of hateful stuff and then put that out into the world and go, oh, well, that was a performance. Yeah, you could. <laughs> Rush Limbaugh did for 30 years. Wow. Yeah, you can call something entertainment and say outlandish things. He didn't thing. call it entertainment, stay, neither did his followers. You can stay, you can stand on the street corner with a megaphone and yell about how Jesus hates gay people and nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. Well, if you get a permit. Point is... Yeah, I do feel comedy is held to a different standard, and it should be. It's important. Why is it important? Because without it, how are we supposed to have these discussions? You know, the reason why comedians are the ones who bring up some of these uncomfortable topics is because no one else has the courage to. 
No one, people don't want to have these types of conversations with their friends, family, immediate. But not circle. all of it is. What? Who's the blonde Amy that I went to see? What's her last name? Amy Schumer. Yeah, Amy Schumer. It doesn't change the world if we talk about what her vagina smells like, and that's part of her act. Well, there's highbrow so and there's lowbrow. You know, there's a spectrum of comedy. So you sure. just do you? But, but that's the whole thing. You, do you have allow to find everything? what's catered to you. I think you should. Everyone should be able to find what they want out of something like stand-up. And so if somebody is talking about abusing children and they think that's funny. And if you don't like it, you can turn it off or walk out of the room. And you just let the free market George decide. Lopez talks about how he was beaten as a child all the time. Got several specials talking about his mother beating him with a shoe. Everybody's been... Yeah, life is pain. Comedy portrays that. Mm-hmm. They're going to talk about things that make people uncomfortable because life is uncomfortable. So do you feel like comedy is under attack? You wanted to do this whole thing on, you know, comedy and cancel yeah, 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 culture. Yeah. Well, it, it yes and no, because by the circle of people who feel that comedy should be censored and limited, yes, I do feel like it is under attack. But those aren't the only people, you know, the, the, there is pushback against that. So it's kind of a tug of war between these two groups of people. So... I think depending on who you are, what your status is, and how far you step over the line, because there is a line, but most comedians will tell you that it is their job to find where that line is and deliberately step over it. And most of their agents would say, it's your job to make the people that pay you happy, and we have to work within those confines as well. Did listening to your agent work out well for NWA? Some of them. Or Jimi Hendrix or <laughs> Elvis or any of these people, you know, it, it should the man saying, really be these, in control. These are people that are doing it for a living. And so the marketability also They're comes. doing it for a living now. They started out in dingy clubs in yeah, to New make York. money and support themselves, not to change the world with their funny jokes. Maybe they did want to change the world. These people work their asses off to get where they are. You know, to a be lot famous of them- and rich. So, you know, while I agree that art should be protected, even crazy people that want to smear shit on a canvas and put it up in New York call that uh, an exhibit, which I think they did in the 90s or 20 years ago, something like that. not a surprise. I think if all of that art is protected, then yes, comedy should be protected too. I just also think that in this, this conversation that we have had particularly over the past year, about personal freedoms and and our rights, we have neglected the conversation about responsibility. And so what is our responsibility to society to be decent people and to not put garbage out into the world? Just because someone says something on a stage doesn't mean that they're not a decent person. How they conduct themselves every day. I also believe that your diet is more than just what you eat. It's what you listen to. It's what you watch. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that you are subjected to or putting into your eyes and your ears, your mouth, whatever, that is forming you as a person. So while I think that that should be a broad scope so that you are a multidimensional person, I also don't know how much, like I said, garbage we need out in the world. And well, but how what much do you consider responsi- garbage? And everybody's going to consider that to be different. So how much responsibility do you have to, you know, to be a Bill Cosby, but not raping okay, people? Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know, a, you if know, people are uncomfortable with the content of someone like Dave Chappelle, they can go watch Bill Cosby, who's got a much more 
comfortable, palatable act and Mm -hmm. think about what, what was really going on there. And what is more important, the art or the person? Because we overlook a lot of craziness and terrible traits in very entertaining people or talented people. I don't think, at least I necessarily don't overlook those things, but holding someone to an impossible standard of behavior because they're rich and famous or the president or the pope or you don't you think know, a public stage gives you responsibility I to think have it, public it, uh, behavior hold on it gives you responsibility yes but i'm saying like people are shocked when they find out these people aren't perfect and you should know that already so you think that the more public people live the more perfect people expect them to be yeah being a public figure doesn't make you a role model mhm it kind of does I mean, yeah, you may well, not want it to be, but Marshall it Mathers does. says different. Okay, but I'm allowed to disagree with Eminem. It'll probably happen mm-hmm. again. And it, you know, um, there's somebody there that I love his music, but he does talk about killing his wife and putting her in the trunk. But that to me he is never did it that we know of. But that to me is theater. And you know, to that point, we know people that have killed people and put them in a trunk. Exactly. And went out so, to lunch with them anyway. Right. So, so where can I? Where are your standards? I. I hesitate to say I don't have standards <laughs> but you know what I like about comedy is you that it is it is such a big spectrum I can watch Chris Rock from the 90s I can watch Norm Macdonald I can watch whoever I want and mm-hmm. and get a different vibe for what they're trying to do what their content is you know Seinfeld rants about weird little intricate details of everyday observational life observational comedy yeah, yeah. Lenny Bruce, who's considered a legend, if you listen to his actual tapes and play them now, it's not really in the same, it doesn't have the same type of pacing or energy of as what people are putting out today. It's a different type of comedy, you know, Mm -hmm. George Carlin. When I watched his specials from the 70s versus the stuff that he did when he was almost dead, again, very different. So the portrayal, the style does change over time. You know, things that Eddie Murphy said 35 years ago, if he comes out with an act now, which I hope he does. Mm, he's making the Disney uh, money. He's not coming out with an Not anymore, act. not right now. Netflix offered no haunted him a Mansion huge He was going to do a whole tour last year and COVID shut it down. But he has talked several times about, you know, wanting to get back into it, but he has to get the right feel for it. So what would your, or what is your stand-up routine going to be about? Am I going to be in it? Not too much because then people just focus on you and I don't not bad. need the focus to be on you, you know, and, and it's part of it, but too many people just talk about, Oh, my parents fucked me up. Like, yeah, okay. Get in line. Yeah. But I did you pay know. for therapy later. Uh-huh. So I feel like I'm fully yeah. redeemed. Right. right. Everything's good. I don't think anyone's ever fully redeemed. Well, I think I feel like that's the point of comedy, you know, again, but I'm truly sorry about, the, you know, yeah, I know, but <laughs> we're not, we're not going there. I, I'm just, I mean, no, not to be deep, but really like we have kind of worked through a yeah. lot of that. I think you just have to admit to your kid. Yeah, I did fuck that up. And then you're able to try to work back from that. But the big problem is when parents don't say, yes, I made a mistake. Well, and a lot of people, comedians try to work those issues out 
on stage. Yeah. yeah. So now you have a great routine. And so like my routine is all about dating older men because people find that to be disgusting. And when I get and you know, part of it is. And so when I get into the details of it, it's funny because it's gross and most people don't have that perspective. So what would your routine be about? My routine. Me dating old more, men? No, my routine would more be about my perspective on the reasons why I both love and hate humanity and how that manifests itself in my day-to-day life. So Just very the things general. That, the things that annoy me about people, the things I like to do and why. You know you're way too young to be a cranky old man. I don't care. I know. You were born that way. You've always yeah. been an old man. Comedians work those problems out on stage. Mm-hmm. Richard Pryor got to where he was because he was vulnerable in a time where that was not Well, he was normal. brought up in a whorehouse. Right. His yeah. mother was also, I believe, an addict. His mother was a prostitute and an addict. His grandmother ran the brothel. Mm-hmm. And didn't you tell me that he and Marlon Brando had some weird relationship? Yeah, so that there are... Not some, weird. I'm sure it was beautiful There sex. are rumors that Richard Pryor and Marlon Brando in the 60s, 70s, whenever it was, had something of an intimate sexual relationship. That is mind-blowing to me. And I think that is a great place to wrap it up so because i don't really know anything more about comedy thank you for listening and i will see you again next time with the more interesting topic that is more focused on me the only thing that i have to say is if there's comedy that you don't like or are bothered by then the solution's very simple don't watch or get a sense of humor yeah find something that's more palatable to you and have fun in your baby-proofed life peace out Please make sure to download and listen to SOB on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production.